From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, this is Crosswalk. Do you see Jesus as your sole joy? Do you cry out to God when it comes to issues in your life? This week in Pastor Clay's absence, Worship Pastor John Spolino continues our Jesus, the Real Action Hero series and explains how Jesus is the Savior and He is worth following Him at all costs. We're glad you've joined us today. This week we're in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Now here's Pastor John. If you're new to Cross Culture Church, while you are finding the scripture, let me just introduce myself. Uh, my name is John Spolino, and I'm just one of the pastors here at Cross Culture. And it is uh, our joy to open up the scripture this morning and to read it. And I hope that if you're new to Cross Culture, that this uh, service to you this morning would be a blessing to you. Alrighty, let me just uh, begin by just doing a recap of last week. We talked about how when we come to any passage of scripture, we can really ask two questions. Uh, what does this text say about God, and what does this mean for God's people? And so we can ask those two questions no matter what scripture we, co- uh, we come to. And we recognize the theme from the past a few weeks, that Jesus is not only being an example of something, of a characteristic, but then he's calling his people to be that very same thing. So we saw with the children that he wants his followers to come to him with a nothingness, knowing that there's nothing that we can do to earn our way f- to God. Then we see with the rich young ruler that Jesus wants his followers to actually follow him. A part of following Jesus is actually doing what Jesus has asked us to do. And then last week we saw that Jesus is the son of man, the humble servant. And he gave up his power, his privilege, his authority. And he came down here to serve us in the most excellent way by giving up his life for us on the cross. And so, in turn, followers of Jesus need to humble ourselves, and we are to, in turn, serve others as well. And so that's what we recognize uh, from the past few weeks. And we're going to see the exact same thing pattern, uh, the exact same pattern here this morning. What we're going to see is uh, two men, Bartimaeus and Jesus, the Savior, two main characters of our story this morning. And what we're going to do is we're just going to take the story verse by verse. We're going to let the story unfold for us this morning. So we're going to read a verse, and then we're going to talk about the implications, maybe some issues that arise within that verse. And then we're going to let it go on and on. Normally, we usually just read the whole entire section so you can get a big picture. But this morning, I want to see if we can read it verse by verse so that we can mentally envision what's going on. I want us to be able to see how desperate this beggar was, Bartimaeus. I want us to see the compassionate Jesus as he is. And so we're going to let that unfold this morning. At the very end of our time, we're going to ask those two questions. What does this say about God? And then what does this mean for his people? So if you're there in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, uh, follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be behind me. Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. Stop. That's our first verse that we're going to go over. So what we see here is that they're coming to Jericho. All right? Now you're bet you're wondering, what kind of life-altering information can we get from that one sentence, they came to Jericho? Well, let me try to explain. Uh, can I show that map that I had up there, uh, Tyler? If you remember, Jesus started his ministry up in Cana, okay, all the way at the top of this map, right above Nazareth. 
He started his ministry in Cana in Mark chapter 2. Remember the water turning into the wine. And that's where he started a a small town. And what he's going to do is he's going to work his way south. And he's going to end up in one of the most prominent cities in the land of Israel. Being Jerusalem at the very bottom. And what we see is that Jesus' ministry covers the land of Israel from top to bottom. And in this time, he's filling this land with miracles of healing and miracles of provision. He's filling the land with his radical teaching. Now, no longer is murdering your brother just a physical act, but if you hate your brother, you're uh, guilty of the same thing. He's, He's teaching about the dignity of children, women, and slaves. He is turning this land upside down. He is showing that he has the power over disease and death. He has the power over demons. He has the power to to calm the waves and so calm the elements. And so this is what Jesus is doing in his two to three years of ministry between Cana and Jerusalem. And if you remember, we've been talking about the passion predictions that Jesus is on his way to go to Jerusalem to die. And he's, know, he's going knowing full well what awaits him. So this is his fate, is death in Jerusalem. And as you can see on this map, what they would do is to avoid Samaria, because the Jews didn't like the people in Samaria, they would actually travel to the east of the Jordan River, would travel down into Perea, and then over across the river west into Jericho. This was the first major city they would get to. Now you're probably thinking, okay, why is this life-altering? Well, this is why. There's a big crowd that's following him. It's a huge crowd. And most of them probably don't know or aren't following Jesus for a particular reason. They're traveling through Jericho to get to Jerusalem to celebrate what we know as the Passover meal, the Passover feast. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this Passover feast, it was one of the most important Jewish traditions uh, that there was to celebrate. And Hundreds of Jews would come from all over the land of Israel to Jerusalem to celebrate this. If you remember in Exodus, you have Pharaoh, Moses. Pharaoh's not letting the Israelites go, so he uses Moses as a mouthpiece. And there's these plagues that come on the land. His last plague that God uh, brings to his Israel is that the, the last, or the, excuse me, the firstborn of any house that did not have the lamb's blood spl- spilled on the doorpost, the wood of the doorpost, would be killed. And what we see from this is that because of this action, the Jews were delivered from the Pharaoh and they were set free and it instituted the start of the Israelite, the Jewish people. So the Jews consider this to be a celebration of deliverance, of freedom. And in the side of the cross, we know something else, that Jesus is our Passover. Instead of the wrath of God being put on the firstborn of the Egyptians, it was put on his own son. And instead of the blood of a lamb on a wood of a doorpost that saved. Now it's the blood of his son Jesus on the wood of a cross that saves. And now, instead of deliverance from Pharaoh, now we're delivered from a greater enemy. That sin which has entangled us. That has separated us from God. So as followers of Jesus, this side of the cross, guess what? We get to celebrate a deliverance as well. Which we'll see in a moment as we continue in this text. But it's important for you to know that this is Jesus' fate. He knows that he's going to be this Passover lamb. He knows he's going to be rejected, despised, spit on, scorned, and mocked. But that doesn't stop him from making one last stop in Jericho. It's his last positive miracle of healing. And he stops in Jericho. 
And we see here that there's this beggar named Bartimaeus who's sitting by the roadside in Jericho. Now I want to ask you a question. If you were a beggar and you knew that there's going to be hundreds of Jews traveling down a specific road to get to Jericho, where do you want to be as a beggar? First in line, right? You want to have the first fruits. You want people to see you and give you their money, their food, whatever it is. You want to be the first one in line. Amber and I took a drive through safari. I don't know if you've ever been on one of those, but basically you just drive through with your car, you put your windows down, and you have buckets of food, and you feed animals. And so they have like zebras and lions. I'm just kidding, they don't have lions. But they have zebras, and they have like elk, llamas, ostriches, which are the creepiest creatures in this world. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, Satan's second disguise in the garden would have been an ostrich, okay? I mean, they're, they're creepy. Well, Amber and I decided not to spend the $4 and buy the bucket of food, so we just wanted to drive through and see the animals, and I think they resented it because they ended up pooping and slobbering all over my white car. But as soon as you enter into this park, into this safari, you're flooded with animals, a ton of animals, because they know if they want the food, it's going to be at the beginning, because all the kids, all the families can use all, all their food, and at the very end, guess what? No more food for them. So as a beggar, you want to be at the front of the line. So what you would see is uh, many families, friends, people that they would know would take these beggars and move them away from the city closer to the influx of people that were coming in. And what these beggars would do is they would lay out their cloak or their robe out in front of them. And they would do this for two reasons. The first is because it made the coins bounce less. I know that, that seems like a, a small detail, but it's really important. It made the, the coins less. Just think, you're, you're blind and someone throws you a coin, you hear it, you know, you got to go find it. But if it hits the cloak, it's not going to bounce as far, and it's probably going to stay within your cloak or your robe. The second reason they did this was at the end of the day, they didn't have to try and feel around for the different pieces of corn or for, for bread. What they would do is they would just take the four corners of their cloak, put it together, and now they got a satchel, right? Super easy. And this is important because you have to understand that this is where all their life was. All that they had earned was in this, or on this cloak, on this robe that they would put before him. And so we see this man, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. He's sitting there, he's got his robe in front of him, or his cloak in front of him open, waiting for coins and waiting for food. And the author of uh, Mark, the author, decides to tell us his name, Bartimaeus. Now this is key for Mark. Mark normally does not use names, Okay. And he calls him Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Now, I want to show you what his name means, because it's going to be really important for us understanding his text. Uh, his name, Bar, uh, means son, okay? Timaeus means unclean. So in our passage this morning, they're calling him Bartimaeus, the son of the unclean. The son of the unclean, the son of the unclean. They're just duplicating it to show the emphasis that this guy is the son of the unclean. His name actually means that Bart Timaeus. This is why it's important. His whole life, Bartimaeus has been called unclean, unworthy, waste of space, not really worth the time of day. It is likely that people called him this because he may have been conceived out of wedlock or something else that was against the Jewish tradition, and so he was unclean. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. His blindness, they would assume, would be a result of the sin of his father, which we know not to be true. But this is him, his whole life. His family, as I said, would probably have moved him out closer to the people. 
And I want you to know this was not done out of compassion. This was done out of an attitude of, well, if you can bring a few coins in, I guess your, keep, I guess your, your purpose is good. You know, if you can bring in some money, we'll keep you around. That's, that's their purpose in bringing Bartimaeus out there. So his, so his family, his friends, thought he was probably worthless. Bartimaeus' mind as he's begging is probably, man, if I can get so much coin today that I can make my family happy and think that I'm not a waste of space, how awesome would that be? And so that's his mindset. He's been called unworthy. Now, some of you in this room, you can identify with Bartimaeus. Maybe you grew up in a household where you felt unworthy. Maybe you felt like your parents just thought you were a waste of space. Maybe now you feel like that. Maybe you feel like nobody cares about you. Well, we're going to see in a moment that there's one that does, and his name's Jesus, and he's the deliverer for Bartimaeus. But I want you to see that this man is completely distraught. And we see that he's in Jericho. I want to point out just two things about this. This text says they were coming to Jericho and leaving Jericho. Other gospels say they were leaving it, and then some say that they were coming to it. Some say that they were in Jericho. And what people will often do is say, look at the inconsistency that's here. Obviously, the Bible's not true because you have an inconsistent account of this, excuse me, of this passage. And what they often do is they try to trap you. They say, well, if there's inconsistencies within the gospel, whether they're leaving or going to Jericho, then they obviously can't be true. But if they all said the same thing, then they obviously conspired with one another to make up this story. So you can never win with somebody who's trying to disprove the Bible. However, I want to show you how a quick study of context clears this all up. Back in this day, there was an old and new Jericho, and people knew that. We don't know that because we're far removed from it, but they knew that. It would be like this. We have North and South Raleigh. You know, you can just make those generalizations, North and South Raleigh. Uh, I come from Wake Forest, okay? It's part of the suburb of Raleigh. If I'm coming from uh, Wake Forest to Raleigh, guess what? I am leaving, technically, North Raleigh, you know, the northern part of Raleigh. And guess what? I'm also approaching Raleigh. Okay, so both those things can be true. Um, and so we see this uh, throughout Scripture. The point that he's trying to make is that they were traveling in the province of Jericho. That's the point. And I want to say this. This also shows us the authenticity of the Bible, that God can inspire men to write a true account but in their own perspectives, their own eyewitness accounts. So that's just validity of the Bible. I just wanted to touch on that real quick. So in case somebody told you that, you can say, boom. All right. So here we go. Verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We know from other accounts that people were murmuring, oh, is this Jesus? Oh, hey, I think that's Jesus. And so we asked somebody, hey, who's that guy? And they tell him, it's Jesus. And look what he does. This, this blind man, Bartimaeus, he instantly begins to cry out. And this term for cry out is not just a whimpering, like a Jesus son. You know, he's not trying to just, he's just not trying to just get over a little bit of the crowd's murmur. This same term is used for women in child pain, child labor pain. They are, he's crying out with all that he's got. He is yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Please have mercy on me. And remember, this guy is, is desperate. He is hopelessly desperate. He's been unclean his whole entire life and told he's unworthy, a waste of space. And he knows that Jesus is his only hope. He knows that the only person that can save him, that can restore his sight, would be Jesus. 
And he's heard stories of Jesus. He's probably heard stories of other blind men. Hey, this man Jesus, he saved me. He might have heard stories from people who were healed and who were lame but now can walk. He's probably heard these stories and he hears that Jesus is here. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We're going to see this morning that the faith of Bartimaeus is the faith that you and I all need to have. And it's his proclamation and his action that we see his faith. His proclamation is Jesus, son of David. Last week we talked about son of man, the humble servant coming down and serving us. This term, son of David, is much more kingly. It's much more warrior-esque. It's what you would expect from a god. It's referring to King David. That the, that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. And what we know from King David is stories like him delivering the Israelites from the Philistine Goliath. We know stories about how he had mercy on King Saul. When King Saul wanted David killed, David in turn spared Saul's life when he had the turn uh, to kill him. And so he's the merciful one. He's the delivering one. And that's what the term Son of David means. It means Messiah. It means Deliverer, the Savior, the one that was promised all the way back, remember in Genesis 3, that the whole entire Old Testament points to this Savior, this Messiah. This is what Son of David means. It's more kingly. It's more warrior-esque. And we see this, that Jesus is greater David. Remember, no longer is he just delivering us from the Philistines, but he's delivering us from the greater enemy. No longer, uh, in a greater way, Jesus has given us mercy. He's the merciful one because when we were in rebellion against God, he not only spared our life, but he gave his life for us. And so this is what this, uh, this term, son of David, means, deliverer. That's why when we see in the Gospels, we see women who cry out to Jesus, son of David, heal my daughter. That's why we see people calling him son of David when they need a demon to leave a person. Because the deliverer can do that. That's why we see blind men calling out son of David. Lame who can't walk calling out to the son of David. The deliverer, the Messiah, the Savior. And so Bartimaeus is saying something really important. Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. The person I know who you are to be. Have mercy on me. But look what the people say. Verse 48. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. People tell him to be, be quiet. He's yelling, desperate, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone's saying, shh, be quiet. Don't talk, you're just a beggar. Bartimaeus, get out of here. And I started thinking, how, what a shame it would have been if Bartimaeus, who is so close to hope, so close to deliverer, would have been quiet because he listened to people who didn't know who Jesus truly was. Isn't it ironic that the person in this story who knows who, truly, uh, who Jesus truly is is the man who can't even physically see Jesus? But those who can actually see him don't recognize who he is? And the sad thing is, <laughs> we do this in our own society today. We get our advice, we get our wisdom, our how-tos, our self-helps from places and sources that haven't recognized Jesus for who he truly is. And this world tells us a lot of stuff, doesn't it, of what to do. 
and how to be and how to act. It tells us, you know, to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. It tells you that the American dream is that very thing that we should be following after. It tells us that success is about how many people serve you instead of how many people you serve. For marriages, it tells us that the way to have a good and better marriage is to have better communication. Tell your spouse or your partner exactly what you want and what you need. Even though the scripture is clear that marriage is about serving the other person, no matter if you're getting what you need. It tells us for the single person, the way to test out the waters if you're compatible with somebody is to move in together and sleep in together. You know, test it out. Take it for a test drive. When the scripture is clear, that commitment comes before intimacy. We see for teenagers, the world tells us, well, they're just going to sow their wild oats. They're just going to be rebellious. You know, it's just a phase that they're going to go through. They're going to party. They're going to be promiscuous. The best way that we can help them is just to tell them how to do it safely. When the scripture is clear, we are to raise our children in a godly manner. And that it is possible to raise children who love and obey the Lord. We see the world telling addicts to try harder. Go to more meetings, which, hey, meetings are great. But the end in itself is missing the point. It's about yourself, looking to yourself for strength. So the addict, we say, is try harder. For the atheist, we say, you know, you just need to believe better. You need to believe the right thing. In this world, we say, you know what, if you do good, then good will happen to you. This whole idea of karma, uh, when the Bible says, you know what, the Lord has plans to prosper you, but he also has plans to test you and to mold you into the person that he wants you to be. And oftentimes that molding is not happy. It doesn't feel good. It's tough. It tells our, our world that to be a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be a part of a body of believers, a church. And what happens is when we start listening to this world in all these areas, we start missing out on the hope and the grace that God has for us. What we see is marriages who are only concerned about themselves and not about serving a greater master. What we see are teenagers who run rampant, who don't know what God has in store for them and and the plans that he has for them. What we see are addicts who can't break the cycle of addiction because they're finding their source and their strength in themselves and not in their Savior, Jesus. And so what we do is we listen to advice and wisdom from areas that aren't Scripture, from aren't, aren't from Jesus, aren't from God. And how, how it would be a shame if Bartimaeus just stopped, so close to the reconciling, so close to the hope, so close to the deliverer. But by God's grace and His perseverance he doesn't stop does he says that while they're telling me to be quiet he cried out more son of david have mercy on me. remember this guy is desperate he realizes that jesus is his only hope the only one and look what jesus says jesus stopped and said call him here he gives them a command call him here so they called the blind man saying to him take courage stand up He's calling for you. And look at Bartimaeus' response. Verse 50. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. What we see here 
is the crux of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I think I put this like this in your notes, so I'll just read it. Bartimaeus recognized that in order to follow Jesus, you must recognize that he is infinitely more valuable than anything in this world. Remember, Bartimaeus has his cloak out in front of him. Who knows how much he's gathered that day? Coins, bread, food, whatever. His whole desire was to bring in money so that maybe, just maybe his family might think to themselves, you know, Bartimaeus isn't so bad. At least he's bringing in some coin. He has all, everything he owns is on this cloak. And what does he do? He takes his cloak and he throws it aside. Nothing matters. Coin's going everywhere. Bread's going everywhere. It doesn't matter to him. Because that moment, money has no value. Food has no sustenance. The only thing that he is concerned about is meeting and knowing Jesus. He knows that Jesus is infinitely more valuable than anything in this world. He understands that Jesus is the only thing in this world worth losing everything for. Everything. He recognized that while the world was telling him wisdom to be quiet, that Jesus was his only hope, his only deliverer, the only one that we need. And isn't that true? He is the only thing that we need. His strength, his power, his deliverance. And so this Bartimaeus throws everything aside, throws caution to the wind. He stands up, comes to Jesus. And in verse 51, when he came up, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I just want to regain my sight. Now there's a couple of things here. At the completion of verse 51, what we see is that Bartimaeus fulfills all the things that Jesus has asked his followers to be and to do in the previous passages that we've read for the past couple of weeks. First, we see Jesus coming, or we see Bartimaeus coming to Jesus with nothing. He throws everything aside, and he knows there's nothing that he can do to earn a spot to talk to Jesus. But now, he has. He throws everything aside. He comes to him with nothing, knowing there's nothing that he can do. He also comes to Jesus with submissiveness being submissive. Jesus says, come here. And what does he do? He, he definitely goes there. I mean, he throws everything away and he goes to Jesus immediately. And then we see that Bartimaeus comes with humility. If you remember from last week, Jesus asked the same question. What do you want me to do for you? James and John said, I want the glory. I want the power. I want the position. But what does Bartimaeus do? Jesus, I just want my sight. I just want to be able to see. I don't want the power. I don't want the glory. I just want to see. And what we see here is this term, Rabbani. It's interesting that we saw the same term back with the rich young ruler. He uses the term Rabbani, good teacher. And this is not only saying that he's a good teacher like the other Pharisees, but the emphasis here is that he's the good teacher, the one, the ultimate authority. And so we see just how much faith Bartimaeus has in Jesus. First, he calls him the son of David, the deliverer, the one who's come. And now we see him as the great teacher, the one who's come. And he throws aside everything that he has, and Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Verse 52. It says, Immediately he regained his sight and began following him. 
Isn't it interesting that he regains his, his sight after he's obedient in faith? Jesus didn't heal his sight, and then he said, okay, I'll come and follow you now. Or, hey, uh, I believe you're the son of David now because you regained my sight. No, it was the other way around. Even before he knew what Jesus was going to do, he was obedient. He came to Jesus with nothing. He came to Jesus with submissiveness. He came to Jesus with humility. He threw everything he had away. And Jesus, in this passage, I believe, could have healed him. But I think he could have decided not to heal him either. And I think Bartimaeus would have had the same outcome. I think Bartimaeus recognized who this Jesus was because of his faith. His faith of his proclamation that Jesus is the deliverer, the Son of God, the Messiah, but also in his action, that he followed Jesus through everything he had away. He saw Jesus as valuable. That faith then, Jesus said, I'm going to regain your sight. And Bartimaeus began to follow Jesus along the road. So now that we have this picture, a desperate blind man, here's Jesus. He cries out with all of his might, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And now that we see him, a humble, blind man who is asking for Jesus to heal him. Jesus heals him and he follows him. When we see this, when we see his example of faith, of one who recognized Jesus of his value, greater than anything that we can attain in this world, when we see this now, we can ask those two questions. What does it say about God and what does this mean for us? What this says about God is that he's valuable. He's the deliverer. He's the savior. He's the one who's come. And not only that, he's the one who can deliver you. I don't know what your personal lives are like, but I suspect there's some of us in this room that are not delivered from something. I don't know whether it's an addiction, a broken relationship, whether it is a cycle of abusing something. Whatever it is, Jesus is your deliverer this morning. For some of you, you don't know Jesus as your deliverer. You've been checking out church, been checking out Christianity, but you've never put your faith in Jesus. And you've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Well, this morning, Jesus is your deliverer. He's the one who has said, listen, I came to die on the cross for you. I'm that Passover lamb. I'm the one who not only delivers you, not only saves you from your sin, but I save you for a relationship with God. And I save you for a relationship with other people. And I save you for God's mission. He can do that for you this morning. He is your deliverer. So what does this mean about us? How does this apply to us this morning? Do you see Jesus as your sole joy? Do you see him as the very hope that you need? Is he your only hope? Is he the only thing that you are relying on in your life? Do you see Jesus as your most precious relationship? Because for Bartimaeus, what did he do? He knew that Jesus was the only one he wanted to know and wanted to meet at this moment. At that moment, Jesus was his most precious relationship and he was his most prized treasure. Is that Jesus for you? Do you consider your relationship with Jesus the highest, the most precious, the most intimate relationship that you have? Because I know that God wants that relationship with you. And I guarantee if you don't have that this morning, it's not God's fault. It's your most precious relationship. And here's one that I could use a good talking to. Do you cry out to God in your circumstances, in your trials? Is your first inclination when you are stressed, pressured, 
there's an accident, there's a death in the family, whatever it might be. When crisis comes in your life, is your first inclination to cry out to God. And I'm not talking about this, you know, Jesus, we, we give this to you this morning. Well, that is good and honorable. When's the last time you got on your knees and cried out to Jesus like Bartimaeus? When's the last time you cried out, Jesus, please just save my marriage. Or Jesus, save my son and daughter. They're going the wrong way. Lord, save them. Jesus, save the lost. Jesus, help me. I need to break from this cycle. Jesus, forgive me, rescue me, save me. When's the last time you cried out to Jesus like Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus? When's the last time you did that? My tendency is to try and work when crisis comes. I try to think, okay, what's the, what's the plan that I need to set into action to fix what's going on right now, to fix this crisis? And sometimes I need to remember that I just need to sit back and be still. I need to cry out to God, Lord, help me in this. Show me, guide me. Show me from your wisdom what needs to happen. Lord, let me not go further in this crisis by my own strength and my own wisdom. Because chances are I'll just mess it up. I'll make it worse. When's the last time you cried out to God? As followers of Jesus this morning, as people who have identified, and I know some of you, as you may be new, but as people who have identified with Cross Culture Church, a part of this body of believers, Jesus is asking us this morning to cry out to him. He is asking us not only to cry out to him, but to throw everything that we have aside. Money has no value. Food, no sustenance. Jesus is our only value. He is our only hope. When we do this, this is what I see for Cross Culture Church. I see people who understand what service does in the light of the kingdom of Jesus. Uh, I like to say this, that our currency as followers of Jesus is our time and our efforts. Surely the church needs, you know, finances to run. But really, service and time is the currency of the church. And I, we have opportunities to do that. But sadly, some people in this church, you've been here for a while, but you haven't decided to serve anywhere. And I don't want to make you feel guilty or anything. It's not my intention. But my intention is to show you that to throw everything aside is to follow Jesus and to serve him. You know, we have opportunities to do that. We have Public Safety Day coming up in a few weeks. Sign-outs are in that table right outside the door. And you know what? There's one sign-up that usually never gets filled, and that's to run the bounce houses. Right? That's the worst. It's hot. You have to deal with kids. But that might be, for some of you, what it means to throw aside your cloak this morning and to serve. I'm just throwing this out there. Uh, I'm right now signed up to grill the hot dogs. And last week, I burned a bag of charcoal. (laughs) So, someone might want to sign up for that, okay? Um, But we have these opportunities to serve. We have these opportunities to lay aside all that we have and to follow Jesus in faith. Some of you, you have been wanting to go on a missions trip, but you just don't know how the Lord's going to provide that money. Uh, this morning, I want to say have faith. If, if God wants you to be on that trip, you'll be on that trip. He'll make the finances come through. It may come by working an extra shift at work, or it may come by an anonymous donor in this church. I mean, who knows? Uh, but 
Are you going to lay aside your cloak this morning, follow Jesus and what he's calling you to do by going on mission for him? For some of you in your workplace, laying aside your cloak this morning and seeing Jesus is all valuable is sharing that value with other people. You know, like Bartimaeus, we're beggars. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where the food is, right? At your workplace, you may have been building a relationship with people to tell about Jesus, the Deliverer, the Savior, but you've been a little bit too afraid to talk with them, to ask them questions. Well, maybe this week, laying aside your cloak means talking to them, striking up a conversation, sharing with them the valued treasure that you have in Jesus with them. For some of you with your children and your kids, laying aside your cloak is going to be hard work by having your kids come at the dinner table and starting Bible study with them. I know it can be awkward. I know it can be hard and and difficult to start at first, especially if you're not in a pattern of leading your children in Bible study throughout the week. But pick a night. Have family devotions with them. Show them that this valued relationship that you have with Jesus is not only valuable for you as adults and as the parents, but should be valuable for them as well. Let them see how desperate you are for Jesus and how you need him as your hope. Laying aside your cloak can be a difficult thing. We tend to want to value the things that are inside of our cloak. We tend to put a lot of emphasis on the things that are inside of our cloak. It's what we depend on. But as followers this morning, Jesus is asking us to throw aside our cloaks, lay them aside, follow him passionately, Know that Jesus is far more valuable than anything in this whole entire world. It is Jesus who is the indispensable thing. Jesus is the only thing. God is the only thing that lasts forever. And he is offering us eternity with him, a relationship with him. And how we give that up for money, for success, for whatever it might be, we give that up and it doesn't make any sense. Because he should be our most valued relationship that we have. So this morning, I pray that that's what your relationship is with Jesus. If it's not valuable, if it's not precious, I ask that you would consider and think about coming to your Savior this morning, coming to your Deliverer, the Son of David. Come to him knowing that he is the most valuable thing. Your questions you may have about Jesus, the questions you may have about the Bible, They may be good, but they pale in comparison to our Savior. And the funny thing is, oftentimes when people have questions about God, questions about Jesus, usually those questions get smaller and smaller in the glory of their Savior. And so I ask you this morning, wherever you're at, will you lay aside your cloak this week, find time to do that, and serve our Deliverer and our Savior. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather every week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens and the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross.
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.